Welcome to Passion Groove. This is a podcast for all you football and music lovers out there. Enough about us, I'm more concerned about you. You've got this far and you're still sat there doing nothing. Come on, get yourself involved. This podcast is sponsored by Beer52. There's a whole world of craft beer to be discovered out there and the team at Beer52 are helping you to taste them all with their monthly subscription. This subscription allows you to choose from a box of all light beers or a mixed style box. This also includes a tasty snack and their famous ferment magazine. All the lads here at Pass and Groove have a subscription with Beer52 and would highly recommend you all to join the adventure into unique craft beers, which also includes some exclusive beers that you can only find at Beer52. To subscribe and for more information, click the link in the podcast description. Cheers, Groovers. Right, so we're back on the airwaves with another Passing Groove podcast. I'm joined as usual with Hodge. Hello, mate. You're right. Con. All right, fellas. And obviously myself, Nathan. We've got another special guest tonight. Um, probably the best coach I've ever worked with uh, at Chester, and um, he's moving on up. Currently, one of the uh, assistant head of coaching at Connors Key. Um, got Gareth Richards. How are you, mate? I'm very well, mate. Thank you for that glowing endorsement. And uh, inviting me home. Not a problem, not a problem. So we'll just get into it like we uh, like we normally do, Gareth. We just sort of want to know how how you got into football playing wise and how it led up to obviously you're um, representing Wales at under eighteen level. How did it all just sort of begin for you? Um, well, I, can't, I didn't really have much of a choice as a kid because uh, I grew up in what was a, a footballing house. Um, my dad was a big Liverpool fan and still on the cop through like the sixties and seventies. And then my brother had, had a decent, like, schoolboy career. Um, and I just think, when I, when I think back to, to being a kid, it was just constantly all football. Um, I got in, into the playing quite late, really. Um, I started it, like, under 10s. It's not like nowadays where you're straight out of the womb and into an academy or whatever. But I didn't start playing local football till I got under 10. Um, and I was... One of them lads who was like always the biggest, always the tallest lad. And I think I probably got on those first few years just because back then, even more archaic than sometimes it can be now when it comes to recruiting for academies. But I just think I stood out a mile just because I was tall, strong. Um, so I moved, I went literally from, I spent just one season at grassroots. I did grassroots at a club called the Braun Super Saints. Um, and then although when I used to play, you could play for, wasn't academies and the school of excellences as well as your grassroots. I always did that. So weekends for me always consisted of game on a Saturday, game on a Sunday, um, training a Friday night, school game in the week. So literally from from junior age from about when I started high school, it was just constant football and already it was at quite a level that it was quite serious. Um, and that's exactly what I wanted. Um, and I didn't know anything else. So We've all been there at the start where we, we all want to be football and we all think we're good enough. Um, and so I was just really fortunate that early on, even though I'd been playing five minutes, um, I think people I caught people's eye. But I said, I was all right. I wasn't a bad. I had a fairly modest 
youth career, I suppose. Um, so as you get older now, you realise, well, I wasn't as good as I thought I was at the time. Um, <laughs> play, now. I had a fair decent career as a youth player. Um, I think at the, at the time, um, I was always like in schoolboy teams, so I played with Chester Schoolboys um, for Cheshire. Um, and, but most of my football um, growing up was over in Wales. Um, we live right on the English-Wales border in Chester, so literally either side of me. I'm, I actually live in England now, but across the road is, is Wales. I've not moved very far. Um, so although, obviously, all Liverpool, we went to Liverpool games often as we could and playing with Chester schoolboys and things like that, all my, when it started to get a little bit serious in terms of being noticed, it was all over in Wales, so for example... At one point, my dad almost considered taking me out of English school to put me into a Welsh school so I could play for Flinch schoolboys because he'd been promised X, Y, and Z that if he plays for Flincher in that squad at the time, like to Michael Owen, Gary Speed had gone before me. Um, and they were saying, well, listen, get in here, this is the path you can go to. But I think my mum won that fight and I stayed, <laughs> I stayed uh, in the English school in, in high school. Um, and my school really wasn't a, a footballing school at all. So, all my football, really, bar the representative teams, was Welsh side, um, which pleased my dad. He's a proud Welshman. <laughs> um, but then when the, when I started getting spotted by clubs, so initially Chester School of Excellence came in for me. Um, they're a Welsh club, though, so we'll, we'll call them well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I was there for a little bit. Um, and then... I was on the radar of Leeds for a little bit, um, Villa, but I never really, I always, I always knew I was lacking. Um, when I played for the schoolboy teams, I always felt like I was the best player. I always felt, I was always a captain. I, I was always like, I felt like I was going to play every minute of every game. But then as I went to these bigger clubs, I think I became very aware that I was always like middle of the pack. Um, and I think I probably, as a kid, probably when I think back now, I could, Thinking myself, why don't you knuckle down and do more? And with me, I was one of these lads who just kind of looked what was around me and thought, I'm not up to this. Um, I'm probably quite quite weak as a kid when it comes mentally. Um, I mean, my parents were, were dead supportive, but they were never the type to make me go and do extra training or dig in. They were quite happy with whatever I wanted to do, even though obviously my mum and dad followed me around the country playing football. But as I said, I never really stuck in one place too, too often. Um, I wound up at Wrexham just before they were giving out YTs. Um, and then so it was around that time where I got on me on the radar of like the international squads. So back then they didn't have what they have now, like under 11s, under 12s, international team. You literally have an 18s, like 21s and their first team. So around 16, I was told that, listen, you keep playing the, keep playing the way you are, keep performing when you get to a couple of years older. Um, the chance will come for you to, to play for my dad's country of birth, play for Wales. So I get to 18 and um, it just never came. I just never got the never got a call. I never got called up. And I, it was as I was coming to the end of my my, my under 18s year where you, you're, you're like hoping you get offered a contract somewhere. You're hoping something works itself out because I'm now becoming an adult and I still want to play football. Um I got, a, I got a phone call, so I've been called up for a, for a camp. So I went to a camp, um, and I was dead fortunate that I got selected for a, 
for a, a game over in Scotland, um, which unfortunately got beaten. Um, I was on the bench, 2 0, came on, it was 2 1 when it finished. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, there you go. Um, there you go. <laughs> but, because, but because I was I was literally the oldest player in the squad, so everybody was just turned 16 or 17. I was 18, going on 19, so I was the oldest player in the squad. So literally, once I'd played that game, that was me done for the. Mm. For international football, really, unless I made that next step. Um, so when I talk about my youth career, if you like, because I'm like attaching it to you have a career when you're a kid, but yeah. I talk about football as a youngster, that was probably the pinnacle, probably came right at the end. Uh, do, you, do you reckon that was most, you know, what you've said there, guys, about when, you, when you've gone to the big clubs? Do you reckon that was, you know, from a personal perspective, that was your confidence that got in the way of you, you know, maybe potentially moving to these, these type of clubs? Possibly. I mean, I was, I was one of these lads whereby I wouldn't start a chance at this day and age just because I was one of these lads who needed his house in order. So I used to play in like Spurs. If I was confident, I felt unplayable. So I always remember, when I think back now, I, think, I played in like little bursts and I can remember in clear as day where I had five or six games where I was just absolutely fine. And... Um, probably blocked it out of memory now, but I can't remember what those triggers were to make me feel confident. I think with me, it was feeling like I was the best. And I always liked it when I had coaches who told me how much they, they rated me, praised me all the time. Um, probably a bit of a basket case, really, when I think about it now. Um, but of course, when you then make that step up and you go to a club and, and you're a trialist, first and foremost, I just didn't, I just didn't have what it took mentally um, to to do it, and I, and I think I think back now would I've done anything differently from a from an ability point of view, and I think I had decent quality, but my problem was I don't think people saw it enough just because I didn't. I always remember going on trial at Wrexham and they were playing um, Tottenham, and I trained brilliantly all week, and I wasn't meant to be in the squad for this Tottenham game. Um, they basically said you're gonna train all week. You won't be in the squad for the weekend, but you want to come along, watch the game, just so you kind of feel a part of things. Anyway, train that well. He put me in the squad. We're playing Tottenham. We're like, obviously, top team. Instead of me seeing that as like, oh my God, I've impressed to get Tottenham. I'm bricking it. Mm. Like, so I'm now on the bench on the Saturday. And I, I, I was one of those players who's like, don't put me on, don't put me on. Now, I can't believe I'm sick. If any of my players did that now, I'd be like, raging. Yeah. Um, but a little piece of me, being a coach as I am now, wants to know, like, where were my coaches? Where, like, if I've got a trialist coming in, he's, like, my most important player for that time. I want to make sure he feels comfortable. I want to make sure he doesn't feel nervous. I want to make sure I get to see the quality he's got. Whereas I don't think we ever had that when we were younger. It was like sink or swim. You almost had a pain when you were a trialist. Come in. I, he's all right, but he's not good enough to get rid because the coaches yeah. at the time liked having their team. and I just don't think I was mentally, whether, whether I was immature mentally, I don't know. I just, I wasn't, I wasn't ever ready. Yeah. Yeah. So, so obviously after that period of, you know, you've, you've gone on to represent Wales there under 18. Did you make the, did you go for the step up into men's football and step across the men's football? I did, but a bit later. Um, I didn't actually play men's football until I was 20. Um, I had a bit of a spell out of the game between the ages. Basically, after I played for Wales, 
it should have been like the catalyst for for good things to come. I've been waiting all, all my life for that. But it was literally the beginning of the end for me, really, from a, a playing point of view. Um, I'd, I'd finished at 18 and it was like, I don't go now, kind of thing. Um, and I had loads and loads of, I was fortunate, I got lots of offers. Um, like non-league clubs like Marine, Southport, those types of teams to go. But again, I was very aware of like, I ain't ready for that. I, that's, that's how I felt. What I couldn't see was what these clubs wanted me because they rated me. So instead of just going along for the ride and going because they liked me, I'm, I'm, I'm giving it all that. Like, uh, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. Um, so I had a, a couple of years where I didn't play in time for anyone. Um, but I was really fortunate in that. It's, it's not the same this day and age, but you, your name kind of lingers for a bit. Um, so people, clubs locally are looking for a player. Then I think it was always like, oh, Gaz Richards isn't playing. We'll give him a ring. Um, so I ended up at 20 going to play for Colin Bay. Um, were they in the was, English leagues at that time, Gareth? Or yeah. They, were they, were, yeah, they were, yeah. Yeah, they were Unibond Prem, which I think is like Conference North now. Okay, mm. yeah. yeah. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, was that a massive change? It, it was, but I think in the in the period of time that I'd out of football, I'd now gone from being this scared little boy to feel a bit more confident now. So I probably wasn't as good a player. Because I'd, I'd, I'd literally, when I said I didn't play, I didn't play. I just didn't play football. Um, so Colby asked me to go in. I joined in pre-season. Did all, I think probably my ability that I had got me by. Um I was filled out a bit now, a bit, a bit bigger, a bit stronger. Um, so I spent just just under a season there. Uh, I loved it. I had a great time there. Um, and that's probably the last time I enjoyed playing. Um, from there, I went to Marine for a little bit. Didn't like it. Um, I think Marine coincided with me working full-time. So all of a sudden, even when I was at Colin Bay, I was still studying. So I was studying in a day at college and I was going to play for Colton Bay. Where at Marine, it was like working all day. I then got to travel. I wasn't driving at the time. I then got to travel all the way to Marine to get kicked by men for 20 quid. So then I played at the end. And that's, that's, I almost then fell out of love with, with playing. And I, 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 for the next few seasons, I tried. I went to Marine. I went to Southport. I went to Nantwich Town. Um, and the, the big thing for me was we were in Nantwich and we got to the playoff final, um, which would have put us into, they were league below Colin Bay, would have took us into what is like the conference, conference north, sorry, we'd gone into where Colin Bay were. And they went to penalties, we played, we played the semi-final on the weekend, can't remember as it was games, but we played Lee RMI in the final. And back then, the team who finished higher in the final of the playoffs, she played at their ground. So straight away, we're in this final, everyone's buzzing. And I'm going, I've got to travel all the way to Lee on a Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking, that's going to be like this. Um, anyway, I played quite well that day. Um, two each, goes to Pens. Um, we get beat on Pens. Everyone's distraught, like managers crying, players crying. And all I can think of is, thank God that season's done. Um, yeah. 
So for me, that was like when I went, I'm done with football here. Um, it just wasn't the same. People always ask me about that now. Why do you think that was? And I think there's a lot of things. Like I said, there's a mixture of being an adult now. I had to have a job and do things full time. But I'd also been spoilt in the past. Like my life was football. So I played on nice pitches. I had nice boots. I, mm-hmm. Everything was perfect. Everything was like geared towards my football. Physically, I didn't have to look after myself because it was done for you. All of a sudden, I was having to invest in my own time. And I'd almost weigh up what the rewards were. Well, why am I doing it? I'm going to go and get 20 quid. Um, the teams are playing. I'm probably going to break my leg here because back then they just... I was a young lad, so although I was never the quickest, as a young lad, I was always the one who was like targeted by the opposition. And yeah. I just think, mixture of that, and again, it probably comes down to me mentally not really having that belief to... Like people who are... Like you said, then people who are like, like Colin Bay are at a decent level then. Those lads are going, oh, I'd do well here, I'd get a move. But I never thought I'd get a move because I wasn't putting everything into it. And the reason I wasn't putting everything into it is I couldn't because I was busy doing working. Or... Yeah. Yeah. But I think, fortunately, I think part of the reason I fell out of love with playing is because I'd started coaching at that point. Um, and I'd, I'd got the bug for it. So if anything, when I was playing, it was getting in the way of me coaching. So I wasn't, I wasn't devastated at finishing. I wasn't. Um, I actually tried again the following season. <laughs> my dad was like, "Go on, keep playing, keep playing." So I went to it, played a couple of games, and I, I just said that this, it's not fair for anybody else. Cause I just don't want to be there. Don't want to play. Um, so, I, so I played my last game. I was twenty-three, I think. Twenty-three, yeah. Mm-hmm. Long time. So, did, did, go on, Hodge. Sorry, mate. So with with your coaching now, or even even back then when you when you started it, is that something you sort of looked out for, perhaps, or look out for now? Like players of that age who might potentially think the same. Is that something you'd notice? Um, definitely. I mean, I'm quite fortunate that I get to work with my players full time. So such such is the nature of the beast in part time football. As much as you think you know your players, if you only see them on the grass. You don't know them at all. Mm. Um, and you think you know your leaders, but do you really know them? Are they just, can they do it when they're on the grass? Is it just for show? Is it like a shouty person? Do they really understand the game? Do they do they have those attributes that are needed to coach? But very much so now, I mean, as soon as you're asking that question, two or three lads who I work with in a minute come into my head. Mm. They've either approached me and said they're interested or we've approached them and said, listen, we've seen something in you. Um we think he might might be a decent coach if he doesn't work out for you playing wide. And we do try and harness that while they're doing it. But I think for me as well, even when I was playing, we probably all, always had that conversation with our parents when you asked, what did you want to do? And you know, I want to be a footballer. Mm. And then the mum and dad were always like, well, you need a backup, be a coach. And I, I never wanted to. But because your mum and dad told me to do it, I did it. Um, and my brother, my brother was a coach. So... I just kind of went along with it, so I'm so glad I did. Because by the time I decided I wanted to do it, I already had a couple of badges. Mm. I know I was already kind of like on the ladder. Um, but no, I think I think that's a great question. I think as coaches now, um, you don't necessarily see them and think, "Well, he's a coach," but you see them more as, "Oh, he's a leader." In mm. so maybe you're going to football, but he looks like he could maybe be a teacher or something in that capacity. 
Mm, yeah. Yeah. So, so when, yeah, I mean, it's quite a cliche thing to say, but obviously you've gone into coaching. When did you get like your first sort of, you know, your first proper, you know, coaching role, like your breaking in coaching, Gary? Um, well, when I started working, I got myself um, a job in a college. I was running a gym in a college. And at that point, I decided, I thought the fitness industry was where I was going to go down. Um, just because it's one of them where you look at all the potential careers out there. And I just thought, I can't, I can't work in an office. I can't do it. My dad was a, my dad was a plasterer. That wasn't for me. Um, <laughs> my brother was like a super, he still is, not for me. Um, so I knew I had to do something kind of away from conventional. So I got into the fitness industry, got a few quals. And again, I was fortunate to get offered a job at college. And they just asked me if um, I played football. So, so I used to. Right? And so we're asked. Um, and I'll be honest with you, when you first asked me, I've gone, how much you pay? <laughs> That's where I was at. <laughs> Um, and he paid for it really well. And it was literally just taking a group of lads um, on a Wednesday for a game. But then slowly over time, I started to realise that this Wednesday game was basically oh, my whole week. So I went from like just looking after a few lads on a Wednesday to looking forward to a Wednesday all the time to, to manage this team. Um, and then when I got a new job, I got a new job in a, in a high school first thing I did when I went in there was say, listen, have you got a, a school team I can volunteer with, I can help with? Um, and it just so happened, Nath, when I went in there, the team I ended up volunteering with was the one that you played, loads of lads that you played with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like your, your year group it was at the time. So um, they were year seven. So I'd, I just started taking them. Obviously, year seven in a school, you've got lads who are currently at football clubs. So they're playing at the likes of Liverpool, Wrexham, Everton's, and then I'm, I'm coaching them for their school. So I, I felt like I was getting a flavour for working with decent players. And there was, I'd only been doing it a couple of years um, when schoolboy football at the time, it, like, it, it died a death. Um, academy for taking over. And Chester schoolboys, as it was, who I, who I played for, didn't exist anymore. It just stopped. So although like your likes of your local school still play like Nosley and St. Helens and uh, Merseyside. Chester just didn't have a, an association anymore. So I basically just got permission from my own school to kind of try and set one up, kind of try and get Chester schoolboys going again. So it was than what I thought. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I was doing it for my own gain. I wanted to, I wanted to manage Chester schoolboys. I wanted to mm. get on TV and see where it led to. Yeah. So we did, so we got up and running. So I did that for, I did that for a season. Um, got my brother along with me because um, he, I'd say he was a coach. Or he wasn't coaching at the time. He was looking to get back in. So me and my brother came in and ran that. And then it was about partway through the season there when Chester, who had Chester City as they were, had gone, gone bust. And they've reformed as Chester FC. And I got wind that they'd started a, uh, a 16, which would be their youth team the following year. Um, so we basically just, remember we just got in touch and said, listen, if you're thinking of starting a youth set, we, we look after Chester schoolboys, we have a monopoly on a lot of players. Um, if you're looking for coaches next year, we'd be happy to help. Uh, voluntary position, we'd be happy to, to get involved and help. Um, 
And we just didn't hear anything back for ages. And then really, really short notice, we got a phone call one day to say, we do want to start a 16s. We're just going to have a 16 team to go with our youth team. Um, can you start next week? We're going to hold trials. Um, and they knew nothing else. They didn't know what platform they were going to play in, like what the budget was. We didn't where the, where the home pitch was. We didn't know anything. Um, so we just ran with it and just said, yeah, we will. So we'd, we'd, we were finishing with the schoolboys that year anyway. Um, and I'd say kind of for me, probably that was the first proper taster at Chester where I've gone, you know what? And I, I want to do this seriously. I don't want it to be, I don't want to be a part-time coach. I don't want to be a lad who picks up his coaching books at the end of a nine to five. I want to do this properly. Um, so I think Chester was the first place really in the first real time where it kind of whetted my appetite. And I think the good thing about Chester, and you'll vouch for this obviously, Nate, is I probably experienced the best and worst of football. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had I had some of the best times ever. But when I think back, I mean I've been coaching what 14 years now from that. And I had some of the worst times there. Um so the fact that was my first job and didn't put me off. If anything, it made me go, I know I really want this. Um, it's probably a blessing in disguise, really. Because um, all, the, all the problems I had as a player, I was probably a bit wet behind the ears and a bit thought the best of everybody. And it just wasn't real. All of a sudden, being at Chester, it kind of toughened me up a little bit because, as we all know, the real world isn't, isn't like that and you kind of got offended yeah, yourselves. But, but again, I had a fantastic time. Um, I don't regret anything, if I'm being honest, um, because I just think everything's part of your, all your experiences are part of what shape your, your future, I suppose. But um, yeah, I'll be forever grateful for that, for the opportunity that I had, just because that, that, that's where I probably say it all, all started for me. Well, that's it, mate. And, you know, that was, it was a great time there uh, at Chester. Well, from a personal perspective, it was brilliant. But one thing that sticks with me, and this is quite a big question in terms of, you and your coaching was it was the first time I ever really learned about football and like the coaching philosophy that you had, you know, getting the ball down was something that was completely well different to me. Now, what what I would wanted to ask was was that something as soon as you got into coaching, um, even when you were a player, something that you were that you always strived for, you know, that passing the, the passing football, the ticky tack and as such. Yeah, I mean, again, as a player, um, that was my game. Um, I didn't have I wasn't didn't have great athletic ability uh, I probably didn't utilise my size enough but I was decent on the ball um, and I want and I thrived probably as a player in teams that got it down and played so probably one of the reasons I didn't like playing non-league as I got older just because that had gone out the window pitches were bad managers didn't really set you up to play a certain way it was about get the best players in pick an 11 and play so I think it was it was never a conscious decision for me it was just like a natural thing um, so for me it was always about this is how I want my team to play how can I get the players to do it and I thought that's evolved over time I think I was probably a bit a bit naive um, as a young coach I got away with a lot and what I mean by that is for example at Chester when I think back now of what I Oh, and I still don't know everything by all means, but I'm still learning every day. But I probably thought I knew more than I did because of how successful we were. But we were probably it was probably more down to how you 
were his players. I had very, very good players that if any sticky situations we had, they got themselves out of those situations without me needing to have the answers for it. Um, I mean, if I went back now, I'd do things so differently in terms of how I coached you guys. But um, no, I think in terms of the kind of football, it's never really left me. I still, I still want to be entertained. I still, I'll still turn off a match if it's boring. I'm not one of these. I don't. I, and there's nothing worse. And I, I say it's now. Um, been watching a junior game on a Sunday. If you haven't got a kid who's playing, if the game's boring, it's awful. Yeah. To watch. yeah. Mm-hmm. So even now, when I when I'm looking after like my 19s, I say, listen, I want. I want you to enjoy playing, and you enjoy playing if you're playing well, playing in a certain way. And then I want the people who are bringing you every week to enjoy watching you and going home and getting excited about their lad playing because the team he plays in is exciting and they do things. I keep saying the right way because I don't believe there's a right way. Um, that's a, that's a beauty of football. They can, mm. can do it in many ways. But for me, it would come down to that. Probably more to do with what team would I want to play in. Um, yeah. Probably stem from there, really. Right, okay, yes. So, how are we looking for time? Hard to on the first half. Yeah, we're all right. We've got about eight, well, eight minutes to say, sort of five minutes or so. Brilliant. So, just to move on from, from Chester there, Gareth, where was, where was your next move after Chester? Well, when I finished at Chester, um, I'd, I'd been made redundant from my job. Um, so, I needed to, my next job, I had to get a job away. So, I got a job in Sandbach, which is a good hour, hour and a half from where I live. Um, and obviously, a lot of my coaching work was like after, after work. So, I just couldn't commit, really. Um, so again, straight away, I was like, I'm going to take this job. But my idea is I'm going to take this job with the idea of coming back. So what I did that year was I just threw myself into Coach Ed. Um, I'd say around that time, the Spanish teams were like dominating. So Spanish national team was like flying. Barcelona were like unreal. Um, so I went to Spain. Um, I literally saved up, went over to Spain for a couple of weeks. Whilst I was at Sandbach, they gave me a bit of time off. Um, and that was probably where the penny dropped for me as a, as a coach where I really went hang on I know nothing here I don't know <laughs> uh, and again that was where really it kind of reaffirmed to me listen I want to do this as a as a coach and the positive was when we were there we got to coach they were brutal Spanish and they dig you out if you're rubbish so Literally, a lad would put a session on, and the, and the Spanish coach educator would say, Get a translator to tell you he's crapped on his crap. Um, <laughs> so, but whenever I coached, the feedback was all right. And all the, all the other people were on the course. So, we had like different coaches from like Ireland, Costa Rica, um, we're all on this course. And they were all coming to me going, Oh, they like you. So, I remember thinking, right, hang on, these coaches that are getting slaughtered work full time in the game. And they're, they're here because they're because their football club's paying for them to be here. They're telling me I'm all right, but I'm the one who's had to like borrow money from the bank to come over here, and I, I don't work at a club. So, so it, it, if anything, it made me think right, when I when I go from here, I'm gonna I'm gonna proper have a good go at this. Um, obviously, at the time it, it was harder because I was married now, um, so it's not the case of like, I'll have twelve months traveling around coaching. So, um, what I did was I stayed 
I did a, a year of Kepjeb where, amongst other things as well, Spain, I did various analysis courses, any CPD events I could find, I went on. Um, anyone I could speak to, I was writing to coaches, managers, anybody I could talk to, um, just to kind of build up my, improve my education, really build up my knowledge base for when that next job came along. And I actually, no one was going to come and offer me a job. So when it comes to the, the, the end of Sandbach, um, my contract was up at the end of the year. I couldn't, I didn't know what to do. They wanted me to renew it, but I knew I wanted to come back. Anyway, I went home and spoke to the wife and I said, I've had this idea. Um, he said, I want to be a coach. Um, but what sets me apart? Like, like, so what if I've got good coaching licenses? So what if I've got good experiences? I said, I feel like I need to do something else. I said, I feel like I need to go and do a degree. So she was like kidnapping. Um, so, so literally, I literally came out of work. We had a child on the way. Um, yeah. Yeah, me and laws were not happy. <laughs> I literally came work, enrolled on science and football at John Laws. Um, I'd been, I'd been researching it for a while. A few people had been on the course and come out and done really well. To the point where one of the graduates now Columbia's manager from that course. Jesus. Uh, yeah. Um, so like, I'm going on this course. Uh, I've read all about it. And obviously, but as well as being on the course, I felt like I needed to coach as well. So I found local clubs. And there's no one more local to me than Airbus. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I was a bit snobby about it. I'm like, oh, I'll just phone Airbus and see how I can do bits there. But not realising what the well setup was like now. It was getting professional. It was really good. Mm. Um, and it was a great move for me. Um, I absolutely love that. When I think of them three years, I had three years in uni, full time. I kept man, wife keeping me because it couldn't work. Um, and then working three years at Airbus, um, and I just had the best time. Um, when I think back to my development as a coach, I worked with like great people, great setup down the road. But also for me was I was going to uni, talking about football every day, learning from people who are top of the field and then go in and put it into action in the evening and the weekends. So straight away, I went from like a new boy at Airbus to like, I went in as the under 10 manager. Um, and then within two or three months, I was working with the 19s. And then say my, my time at Airbus finished with me being assistant manager of the first team. So um, again, another, another great experience for me. So, what we'll do, guys, uh, we'll get into. Obviously, I know, I know all about that Airbus, especially the under 19s team that you had at the time. Uh, we'll we'll have a quick five minute break and then we'll just talk into that. If, if that's okay with you, yeah, yeah, right? yeah Fantastic. We'll, we'll what we do is we start. We'll um. Oh, go on. I just want to end. Uh, we'll we'll end the recording. Our halftime break is proudly sponsored by VintageFootballShirts.com. VintageFootballShirts.com are the market leaders in the sales of rare, original and vintage football shirts. Their range features shirts from as far back as the 1980s and includes virtually every British domestic team alongside many other worldwide clubs and international sides. Click the link in the description below to grab your favourite vintage shirt today. Now let's get back on with the pod. 
Right, yeah, so we're back after another uh, another short break um, and we'll just get straight back into it, guys. Um, about just, you, you, we ended on your time at Airbus, how was that? Yeah, it came at a really good time for me. Um, Airbus, as I say, I just enrolled at uni um, and I'd, I'd had a little bit of time out of the game with regards to coaching. So I had all this daily knowledge that I was acquiring, all the people I was speaking to, and I needed an outlet really to go and, to go and test myself. So... I had a great time at Airbus. Um, spent the first year working um, closely with the under 19s, and then the following year, um, they formed an 18s and asked me to and asked me to, to take over it. So I, I brought again because of my back in the area. I brought a few players in, brought a few lads up through the academy, and we put a team together. And it kind of just went better than than what we envisaged, really. Um, again. As I said earlier, I'd somewhat naive, you might realise the, the, the steps that Welsh football had taken with regards to academy football. They were now properly funded. So even like if Chester, for example, in our own eyes, they're seen as a big club, good fan base, the biggest team in the in the area. But when it comes to resources, Airbus had everything that I couldn't get at Chester. So we had funding, we had facilities, we had regular kit, we had slots to train, everything was in place. Real good standard of opposition. Um, where we were based right on the English Wales border, we could attract really good players. So it was a really, really good time for me. And saying that, that that second year for me, we um, from a collective point of view, we, we cleaned up. Uh, we went to four competitions that year. Um, we started off pretty slow, but I always got, I always kind of knew that if we could get the quality and get the performances out of the boys, we'd we do okay. Um, it was always going to be hard to get lads into the first team at the time, just because the first team were flying really high at the top of the Welsh Prem. Um, academy football was quite new, so understandably from a manager's point of view, a lot of, a lot of the contracts for first team managers in that league are normally a year, and they know the the remit is normally keep us up or, or get us up, and then they're then normally given money. So if you're a manager and you've got a year to do something and you've got money to spend. Are you going to go and spend it on proven players or are you going to gamble on a, a young lad? Um, so it was always going to be tough for the boys to to get into the first team. And that's why we did the 18s team to kind of bridge that gap before they went into 19. So hopefully they'd be better prepared for giving it a big push. So from a collective point of view, from a team point of view, when I think back to that season now, it just felt like every other game was a semi-final or a must-win or a the back end of the season was incredible. Um and as I said, we entered four competitions. We entered the won our league, beating the likes of Connors Key. They were full time. Their, their scholarship program were full time at the time. We were part time, so we, we we beat them to the to the title. And then we entered an under 19s competition. So we were an under 18s team. But instead of putting our 19s team in it, we decided to put our 18s team in it just to test them a little bit. So we went in it thinking it would be like a good little grounding for them and we went and won it. Um, beating CNS in the final, we'd won the 19th league. So and I, did, I, I didn't think we were overachieving either. I genuinely thought in that team we had some proper players. And when I look back at the squad pitcher now and you do, it's no fluke that we had the success we did just because the personalities and characters in there as well as the quality. And, and the biggest thing I take from that group is the amount that I still play. So we had, we had a number 
probably the biggest success story at the time was we signed a lad called James Murphy. I actually signed him from Chester. Um, James was a year younger than you, Nate, so I signed him. Uh, took him to Airbus. We put him in the 18s. He had a great season. Missed the 19s, got straight in the first team and ended up winning Young Player of the Year for his first, first year in the first team. So he was probably the biggest success story at the time. Um, and obviously Airbus were playing in Europe every year. So the mm. big difference with, with us is we weren't just trying to get players to get to the next level. We're trying to get to players that can hopefully go and do something in Europe. And then there was other players in and around that squad, like Larry Hassel. Uh, he was in the 19s. He ended up signing for Leicester um, on a pro. Um, but the big thing for me is the amount of boys from that who are still playing, whether it be some summer in the Cymru North, which is the league below the Welsh Prem, um, some are playing English system, a lot are doing stuff with their football. And people say, why, why do you think that's different? And I genuinely think it's because the level of success they had. I mean, people say winning doesn't matter in development football. And ultimately it doesn't because you're trying to develop the individual. But in terms of pushing them on, we wanted to create memories for them boys. So by them being successful, I think it gave them the bug to kind of mm. go and be successful again, whether that be playing for another good team or, or just forging a, a career for themselves in the game. And I just think if they weren't successful, like I said to you when I was a player, when things weren't going well, I was sick of football. Yeah. Whereas I think, when I think back, that particular group of players, I think that because that season was so good, it kind of lighted a fire in a few of the boys who were at that age where they had to make a decision about what they wanted to do. It, it shows um, there that they're, they're obviously still, they obviously enjoyed it to, to kick on and still be in the game kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, I think, and again, I come across them quite a bit now. Some of them are coaches. Um, as I said, some of them playing decent level. Mm. Um, and, and the best thing about it is, is whenever we bump into each other, because the season was that good, that's the, the first thing that, that's the thing we have in common. Well, just the memories we made that, that year were fantastic. Mm. Yeah, so so you, obviously you were doing that during your time at, at uni there, Gareth. So um, yeah. was there any other steps, you know, while you're in there? I remember you saying uh, about, you know, your time working with, was it, a, did you have an internship at the end of your degree? Yeah, well, that was, that was one of the things that attracted me to the Everton, uh, sorry, to the university course, was because although it was a science and football, so the coaching aspect was minimal, I wanted, first and foremost, I wanted to have an evidence base to my work. So as coaches, as you know, it's all about what we think, what we copy. And it's it's not potluck because you plan, but I just think if you can have an evidence base alongside it in how you prepare and how you go about certain things, I wanted, I wanted that. So that's how I went to uni. But one of the things that attracted me to that particular course and that particular uni was the opportunity of an internship at Everton. So I always knew the internship would be as a sports scientist, but for me, I saw it as a way in. Mm. So if I can get myself noticed, get myself recognised. So I finished my second year at uni. That was the year we'd um, done really well at with Airbus. And then when I got offered, fortunately, the internship for my third year, that's when I said to Airbus, I want to, I want to really concentrate on, on Everton. So I stepped away from Airbus for that year. So that my final year in uni, uh, when I wasn't in uni, I was working part-time filming this internship at Everton. So initially it start, started off, you were just um, doing like general sports science support to the academy. 
So in the academy at the time, it was like Tom Davis, Keir Dowell, John Joe Kenny. Um, I don't know, doesn't matter. Mason Holgate was coming late. Um, mm. Good players in the academy, so under 18 then. But I was, I've been there a few weeks and someone approached me and said, Do you fancy going in with the, um, the first team? I was like, oh my God, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, and it's only when I got to the first team that I knew I knew people who worked for the first team, but you're never quite sure if they remember you. Like, I'd, I'd done a couple mm-hmm. of courses with Martinez. Um, I was at Chester as a player when he was a player. Um, yeah, course, yeah. I knew Dennis Lawrence from my time at Rep, and he was there. Yeah. Um, and then it's only, and at the same time, I was doing my badges now through the Welsh system, and Martinez had done this through the Welsh system. So I knew I was going into this environment where I had a lot in common with a lot of people. So I just utilised that, and before I knew it, um, I've stuck up these kind of professional relationships with them. So I felt, after doing my day's work, I felt comfortable enough to like say to the gaffer, could I come and have a chat with you after? And, say, and he, the type of bloke he was, he was just, just unreal. Um, could I kind of, kind of come and watch an extra session? Um, so you think that, although I wasn't coaching them hands-on, that year of education at the time, Everton had Lukaku, Ross Barkley, John Stone, Leighton Baines, Jags, Tim Howard. I was seeing them up close on a regular basis, what makes them tick. And I was get, getting to see like both sides. So I'd be in with the coaches, where they planned training, where they planned games. Then I'd go in with the players to do all their like testing. So I got to see both sides, like if they were slagging the manager off or what their moves were like. Um, and again, it was probably another, I refer back to my time at Chesterley. It was actually a tough year. The year before I came in, Eric Martinez took over and they had a brilliant year. Yeah. Um, we'd have that year where he finished, like, I think he finished fifth. He took over yeah. from Moyes. And then the year after, the year I was there. And by comparison to the year before, they really struggled. So they'd had lads on loan the year before who had done really well. And because they'd done so well, they'd signed them the year after. But obviously, them weren't strengthening from what they'd had the year before. Um, so I got to see all like the horrible side of it, like driving out of training with all fans outside, calling for the manager's neck, um, seeing how it was affecting the players. So seeing how they were coming in after a defeat, um, how they felt, what the manager was trying to do to like pick them up, um, all the tactics they used to try and get a bit of confidence back, how they dealt with the media. So all that for me was just like this crash course in education that everybody gets. I mean, there's a lot better mm-hmm. coaches than me not being in that environment. Um, so I just tried to embrace it as much as I could. I just, everything I could do, I did. Um, every session worked with every player got to know players quite well um, to the point where now I'll, I'll still maintain contact with them so if they've got questions about things and uh, and it was just uh, it was just a fantastic experience and, and when I when unfortunately Martin I got the sack um, obviously at the time I'm thinking well, I could get myself a job here could get myself a could get a full time job with the first team that's I mean I might have been miles off I might have been not in the running, but that's what you're thinking to yourself. Yeah. Obviously, when he went, um, that was my end of my time there. It kind of happened at the end of my internship, and it was kind of like, thanks for everything, good luck in the future. And I'm like, oh, I don't want that. After everything yeah. I've done. So I finished my degree, I finished Everton, and I was like, 
Now what? Um, so I literally went and spoke to Airbus and said, listen, I don't want plans are, would you have me back next year? And they actually said, we do, but we want you back in a different capacity. Would you come in as a assistant manager for the first team? Um, so I was like, oh, brilliant. So at the same time, I started looking for a job alongside it. But as I was looking, I got a phone call out of Blue from Everton to say, um, listen, I know you're not with the first team anymore, but we've got a job in the academy. Would you fancy it? Um, so I took it and did the both. Um, so I went from like panicking to I've gone from working in a Premier League environment every day to nothing. But then I was just dead fortunate I'd made an impression on somebody, obviously Airbus and Everton, um, to get offered. And it just it just worked perfectly because Everton I'd do in a day, I'd then go Airbus in the evening. Um, and it was just too good to be true, and that's how it turned out, to be fair, in the end. <laughs> Fantastic. That's to be fair. You get like the best of both worlds there, don't you? Still with the kids in the academy and then Obviously, with Airbus, you you working with the first team, so you're doing a bit of both, yeah. I mean, what I did come to realise was, um, for, for me personally, people don't believe me. When I say it, I've never really had aspirations to work first team. It's not, mm. it's not the be all end all for me. I think a lot of people, like a lot of academy coaches, if you ask them, they want to go and work it's top cool. end. But it was weird having done top end and then gone to work in the academy, working with coaches who wished they were in the first team. Mm. Um, so the dynamics and stuff were all a bit skewed and a bit, it was a bit weird um, and, and again they'd only see me as it's like when it comes to the academy stuff they'd see me as an intern all of a sudden I was a coach um, so it was a, it was a, a situation that I hadn't really thought about too much but it became apparent when I got in there like it was it's very different to what I'd experienced first team in the academy is so different it's like it's, it's unreal mm. Well, I was, I was going to just say then, um, guys, that obviously, like you say, with academy football, there's a focus on development, whereas in a first team, like, you know, a first team environment, it's more it's more like a, a results-based sort yeah. of environment, isn't it? Is that like, a, is that obviously more difficult dealing with the results-based, you know, is there, is there more, can you tell the pressure around first team lads compared to, you know, lads coming through the academy and managers as well? Oh, yeah, without question, like, it, it literally got to a point in Everton at one point where they were on such a bad run, I didn't want to go in because the atmosphere was just dreadful within the club. So the manager who you've, you've I just loved him. So you you just you do anything for him. You could see how much he how stressed he is. He just has to get results, has to get results. But then the players are more worried about themselves, right? What's the why is the manager? Why are we doing this session? We got beat three 0 Why are we doing an attacking session? Why are we doing defending sessions? My contract's up in a week. Why? So all these little yeah. things don't get. Um, and again, the biggest the biggest difference is I say like in the job I'm in at the minute, I am in when it comes to the game. I am in a try to win environment. So we must always try and win. First team, it's a have to win environment, and there's no grey areas you, you have to win it um, so it's obvious the things are different and not just win on Saturday like and Wednesday and Saturday and Wednesday and keep everybody happy speak to the media and make sure the fans are happy and it's just like and when, when I got to see I remember playing Liverpool 
at Anfield. Um, weird one for me, obviously, because being aware. Um, <laughs> we're, we're getting beat 4 0 by Liverpool. And the gaffer stood at the edge of the, his technical area, hammering down the rain. And that was his way of saying, like, listen, I know we're struggling, but I'm not hiding, I'm here. Like, I'm, I'm there for you as players, I'm here. And just watching this man that I respected just look like a shell of a man in front of me, mm-hmm. getting called. Just so Liverpool fans are taking the mick out of him. Everton fans are going for him. And I've seen him all week, how hard he works. I, I, I swear to God, I used to try and get in before him and I never could. Didn't matter what time I got in, <laughs> we was always in before him. And then as I was leaving, if I did a late shift, I was leaving at 10 o'clock, he was still there. But, and he had twins at home, newborn twins. Fucking hell. So yeah, it does give you a little... The pressure's like... I speak to my dad now, he's a bit old school, like, pressure, it's football. <laughs> and I'm like... When you, when you see that, when you see what someone has gone through during the week and how hard they're working, and essentially it doesn't matter to anybody if you get beat up. None of that matters. Um, it, is it frustrating, Gareth? You know, especially with you there, you used that Liverpool game as an example. You can see these lads, professional footballers, who the gaffer's putting all that work in for 16, 17 hours a day. So you get there and think, like, what the like, what's all, like, what the fuck was it all for? Because the lads aren't putting it in or, it, or it's not working on the pitch. Yeah, you only, you only got like, it was, it was few and far between in terms of lads who kind of tossed it off. Um, it was when it started to affect the, like the boys who turned up, every, like John Stones, for example, is like, I don't, I think if I coach for the next 50 years, I'll never see a more complete player in terms of, he worked harder than everybody else. When they, when they played five sides in training, he was, the best striker, best midfielder, best defender. Um, so, like, he was always the standard. He was like, at the time I was there, it was when Chelsea were trying to come in, it was like really unsettling for him. Mm. Um, and Albert Gaffer looked after him, and that was fantastic. So, I just, I just think it got to the point where the lads who were invested in Everton, and this is how I viewed it anyway, um, they felt the same as the Gaffer. They were trying, it just wasn't happening. But obviously you do get that, like you get it everywhere. There's a couple who just yeah. not going their way. They're not bothered. They're getting paid. Yeah. Um, and then straight away, because you're not winning, that causes friction. The manager then obviously always sides with the lads who are giving him everything. If then that pushes the other lads further away. It's just, uh, it is frustrating. Um, but for the, for the most part, I mean, people say like they did open your eyes. It did, but not in a negative way. 99.9% of the players that I was fortunate to see and be amongst like were proper professionals. Um, and to this day, I, I don't really know what the problem was at the time. It just wasn't winning games of football. Mm. Uh, and I just say again, confidence had gone, was shot, and just couldn't. But we had a point in the season where we played Chelsea in the cup and Rom scored a goal where he skinned everyone and scored. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And you thought, right, that's it now, that's it. And we came, we went in on a Monday, everyone's like bouncing, yeah, it's going to be fine. And then we lost again, I think, the following weekend. So we went from this massive high to it's all going to turn around to yeah. we'd lost four games before that. That cup game's forgotten now, and you're the worst team in the world again. Um, 
You know, it's just managing that kind of expectation. You see it now, aren't you, with Liverpool? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, Liverpool are still, if you look at the form table, they're still like third or fourth. But it, because everyone makes it feel like a disaster, mm. that seeps into the club. And all of a sudden, the players start playing like a disaster. So the actual, the actual issues, I don't think, come from... I think the club could shut everybody out. They just deal with it. But yeah. very aware of, like... For example, I'd get in in the morning, and the paper... I'd, not, the gaffer would be sitting opposite me, and I'd be reading the paper, hamming it. So the paper's there, slagging him off. And he's sitting opposite me. Um, and that, yeah. that's the, the world there, isn't it? So it's not just a case of, like, I'm going to come in, get our heads down, get on with our work. You just can't do it. And it... And it and in the world where now social media and fans been able to get close to you. Um, there's, no, there's no sort of getting away from it, is there? No. no. And, and I still think, if you look at that season, part of the problem for Everton was how well they'd done the year before. Mm, yeah. They weren't diabolical that year. They'd finished lower on the Moyes at times. They finished lower the other season. But because they'd been so successful, you, obviously that's how people gauge it. Um that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think you just expect it uh, to build, aren't you, every year then? <laughs> we uh, we um, spoke to, well, the same sort of thing with um, a couple of lads with from their playing perspective when managers have, it's not been working, they're not getting results, managers get sacked, same bunch of lads, you imagine comes in and start getting results and you can't yeah. quite work out what the problem was to start with sort of thing. I put, I put it down to the atmosphere. It's just like the atmosphere. Yeah. Like when it went. I stayed on for another week and we had one game left against Norwich. Norwich already relegated. Um, but David Unsworth, who I was dead fortunate, oh, yeah. gone really well with, he took over for that game. And everyone's skipping into work. Like, it was just like, that's it. But, but it did feel different. Yeah. And it did feel like once the manager had gone, as much as... I rated him, and obviously he's world class because he's quite feeling now with, with Belgium. Um, sometimes when there's, they say don't make changes as good as the rest. Sometimes you just need it. If you can't get rid of that vibe and that momentum, then you just make a change. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, you know, moving on from from Everton um, and Airbus, there, guys. Where where was your where was your next move from there? Obviously, you've you've graduated uh, uni. You've had your time working with Everton. Um, but where was the move then after Airbus? The next one, I um, I was I was still at Everton at the time, but I finished Airbus um, because I knew now I wanted to kind of get into the full time game as best I could. And although it wasn't a full time offer, um, and I wasn't going to get a full time gig at Everton the way the academy went at the time. Um, uh, uh, Wrexham had phoned me a couple of years previous and said, would I, would I fancy going in? Um, uh, I couldn't do it for some reason. Anyway, they, they phoned me, um, offered me, I think they offered me the under-14s. And I just said, oh, I really appreciate the offer. I said, but I, I just I don't want to go back to 14. I wasn't saying I wanted to do first team, but ever since I've been, although I did the 10s at Airbus for like two months, I'd only ever worked with 14 but. And I said, I really wanted to stay in that kind of professional phase. So he said, I'll tell you what, we can give you a 15s team. Um, they're our best team. So you go away and do a bit of digging. I said, you know what, they are the best team. Um, 
and I went in um, just at the time of life. Uh, although, although things weren't great for the club off the pitch, at the time we were training a really run-down Collier's Park. Um, the fixture programme wasn't great, um, but what Wrexham does do, it's, it attracts quality footballers. Um, they had a good recruitment department, so they're recruiting good players. Uh, and, and I think at the time of life for me as well, I was working at a club where like just everyone was nice. Just everyone I liked going in. Um, I felt valued, which I think is important for anybody. Um, I felt like the work I was doing was appreciated. But also all the coaches got on. Um, the first team lads interacted well with the academy board. And it just felt, although from the outside people say, oh, first team weren't getting promotion and they were rowed behind the scenes and stuff. From my point of view, it was um, just a great, great time in my life. And I made no secret of it and I never wanted to leave. Um, I did two years, but I was still part-time. And then the time came really where I needed to go full-time. And because of the financial situation back to me at the time, um, I know they didn't true to their word and given me full-time if they could have, but they just couldn't offer me, couldn't offer me a full-time position. So, at the end of my time with Wrexham, I had to make the decision to... My lads had finished there anyway. They'd finished their, their cycle. So I thought, perfect time to go. Um, but I actually, I've got nothing but fond, fond memory of Wrexham and, and that group of players are just, like, phenomenal. Um, at last count, there's eight, I think, are now playing at level above Re- levels above Wrexham. Mm. Um, there's quite a lot. Cause I'm a, I actually support Wrexham, guys. Um, believe oh, yeah. it or not, based on my accent, but uh, <laughs> there's always a kind of a thing that seems to happen where the, there's lads who are 14, 15, 16, don't even make it to the first team. They tend to get picked up by bigger clubs before they even yeah. get to that stage. That's exactly exactly what happened with myself. I, I got this group and I've gone straight away, hang on a minute, this group are like special. So bear in mind that I've worked now, senior football with Airbus and the Welsh Prem. Senior football, Everton's first team, um, academy with Everton. So I'd seen pretty much what the quality was out there, what players were out there. And still, I've walked in, I've gone, this group of players is like outrageously good. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the, the way the club was at the time, it's not, it's not criticism, really, but it was just the, the way it was. Mm-hmm. Academy, Dan Nolan was class, he was brilliant, really. Uh, I know really, Danny, yeah, I know Danny. Yeah. yeah. Dan really pushed the boys, he was great with me. Um, but we always, I mean, I always say I'm going to write a book about that team because. <laughs> oh, well, I'll buy because, it. I'll buy it there if you do. Literally, one by one, you're going through your team, you're going, won't keep him long, won't keep him long, won't keep him long. Um, and then you think you might get maybe three out of the eight that you think you won't keep. They've all gone. Mm. Um, even this week, lads are signing pros. From that squad, um, Pat Jones, who we set sail yeah. again, from Bala. Yeah. So I, we, Pat was in the squad when I took over. Um, he, he was on trial, came on trial, did okay. Signed him. Once he signed, he just did that. Um, and now he's first team Huddersfield within the space of yeah. two and a half. Jeez. Uh, Scott Butler, Swansea. Charlie Caton, Louis Lloyd, Shrewsbury, Kim Williams, Swansea, 
Max Williams, Phil Perry, Salford, Bobby Beaumont, Sunderland. Yeah. Alan Huxley, Sheffield Wednesday. That was this Ian week, wasn't it? Yeah, I seen that. I seen yeah. That. They're, they're all from that, from that group. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's brilliant, that. Bonkers. bonkers. Um, and they always say, like, one day, Retton fans would go mad, wouldn't they? Like, what's happening there? Yeah, um, they do. Yeah, they do. You yeah. see it online. So why don't we keep it among? Unfortunately, it's the same situation in that whichever manager gets the job at Wrexham, they'll be told, get us up. Mm. And here's your money. Yeah. So again, if I'm a manager, as much as I love the youth, and I'd say that, if I was first team manager, I'd play the kids. But then my chairman says to me, you've got one season to get us up. Otherwise, I'm, otherwise you haven't got a job and you can't feed your kids. I'm going to go, and if I can go and buy the players, I'm going to buy them. Mm. Your, your yeah. issue, if it's Premier League, it's different. They've got time, they can blow them in and out. Wrecks them every year, year on year now. It's like, get up, get up. Um, so the, these lads, although I always thought they were, with the greatest respect in the world to Wrexham, were going to make a step up. We always knew that that step up probably wouldn't be Wrexham's first thing. They'd probably have to go higher up the ladder just to kind of get the opportunity. Um, and I guess not a, it's not a nothing against Wrexham, it's just the situation there. Maybe when Wrexham, Wrexham's getting the Football League, managers would get two or three year yeah. contract. You say, I like the way you say when there. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, every year. <laughs> no, no. You'll hate me to say this, but one of the best coaches I ever worked under was Sam Ricketts. Really? Uh, uh, well, yeah. he, he gets a lot of praise in terms of the, the team and yeah. the coaching, but obviously the ending. And, and, and if he'd have hung around, um, I've yeah. no doubt in my football league now. Uh, he was yeah. that good. Yeah, yeah really. you're probably right there, yeah. yeah. Where are we there, Yeah, so, um, from I don't want to keep moving on, guys, because there's so many interesting things at the clubs. <laughs> I feel like I'm just pushing you through it. But so from Wrexham then, mate, where was where was your next move then? Is that to where you are at now? Or? Ish. I was, um, I was looking for full time. That was my thing now. I just needed to, I'd been... 11, 12 years, some of it education, some of it part-time, just getting ridiculous now. I was like mid-30s. Um, so a job came up at Flint Town. Um, I wasn't sure if I wanted it. It was one of them whereby, do I leave Wrexham to go to Flint? No respect to Flint, but everything I had at Wrexham, in terms of the quality of player, the ambition to get back in the league, I would then be going to a club whereby it would pay me a full-time wage and it would be my baby. I could look after it. Um, but in terms of the level, um, it wasn't where I thought I'd, I'd wanted to be, but ultimately it come down to it was full-time. Um, and then that's when paying the bills and everything comes into things. So you just think, well, I've got to, got to do this. So um, I went into it and I quite enjoyed my time there, but I soon realised, I'm coming into the missus one day and saying, it ain't going to be for me this um, because the academy was in the position it was in. I was coming as academy director, um, but I literally would have been behind the desk all day just because of the amount of work that I needed doing. Um, and I, I, I quite enjoyed it, to be honest, but I almost felt like I've gone from being a part-time coach to not coaching at all now, even though I'm full-time, um, just because the, my priorities had to be we had to do things for a period of time, excuse me, to, to get the club their academy licence, get their accreditation. We needed brand new staff. 
we didn't have a um, like a playing model. We didn't have a, a pathway. So we literally had to put all those things in place, which we did, to be fair. Um, but it was, it was going to be one of them projects where I thought, right, two or three years in, it'll probably be good and then I can kind of be where I want it to be. And then just literally out of the blue, um, Connor's Key phoned me and just said, obviously Connor's Key at the time, well documented, they've got good financial backing. Their ambition is like limitless. Um, Andy Morrison, who I'd worked under at Nomads, uh, sorry, at Airbus, who I had massive respect for. Like Andy is one of my heroes, really, when it comes to coaching. Um, their job, and it, it was one of them, it should have been an easy, I remember phoning the missus and she said, just take it. And it should have been an easy decision, but I just started this other job, like, so I felt a bit, felt awkward about doing it, but I made the decision in the end. Um, so I was at Flint for about six months before I moved literally across the road to, to Commerce Key. Um, and, I, and I love it. It's just, it's, I get, the, bit, the way I can describe my job is I get to play real life championship manager <laughs> without, and be a manager without the worry of getting the sack if I don't win at the weekend. Uh, I probably got a perfect job really in terms of it's my ideas my way of playing, uh, obviously in conjunction with the club, my staff, um, my players. So basically it's, obviously once we play championship manager, we do things, we always say, if I was a manager, I'd play this way and I'd do that. I get to do that in a football club. Um, and the only other person who gets to do that is the first team manager. Um, so I'm, I'm literally, people talk about what are your ambitions? Do you want to go and manage at a higher level? Do you want to go back into the English system? Maybe if I was younger, but as I've got older now, it's about, for me, it's about going into work, enjoying my job, feel like I'm making a difference, coaching. And I do all that nomads. Um, like I said, the level we're at now is very good. Got great quality of player. Um, and it's, as I say, I'm just at the moment, I'm, I'm probably doing what is a perfect role for me. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, some, some, um, some. Intru- I mean, that's just a pretty interesting career, that guys. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, as yeah. I say, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, but more close than Tiger Woods, me. Yes, I mean, I think that's just a perfect thing to end on there, guys. I mean, um, we do at the end of every pod, um, we've got a few quick fire questions that, yeah, um, that, that Con's got there. If, if you want to take it away, yeah. Con. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, first one is, um, what's your favourite moment playing football? Um, probably wasn't at the time um, because I was so. But when I think back now, when I got my Welsh cap. Good answer. Yeah. Can't argue with that, can you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, what's your best or favourite moment managing or coaching in football so far? Um. Probably came two weeks ago when Pat Jones made a debut for Huddersfield in the FA Cup just because as a development coach yeah. that, that's what it's all about for me and um, for us to take part what we did from from the Welsh Academy and don't get me wrong this lad is special like it's mm. I take that credit he's driven he's, he, he's fantastic um, but to see him go from 
what he was to play in, in the FA Cup and then playing in the Championship the other night. That's like, I remember just thinking that's the, get that on my CV, that's the best one. Um, <laughs> I, probably got, I probably got more joy out of that than, than winning games of football and stuff, just seeing him going and progressing. I'm, I'm guessing I'll get that feeling a few more times with some of those boys in that group. Fantastic. Fingers crossed, yeah. mate. Fingers crossed. Yeah, and then uh, finally, obviously you've uh, coached quite a lot, but who would you say is the most naturally gifted player and uh, worked with? Uh, I never coached him, but obviously being around him, um, Nathan Rowe. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, the one I've been fortunate to be up close and personal with, like on the grass, John Stone's easy. Yeah. Um, but in terms of me coaching, there's a boy at Shrewsbury called um, Charlie Caton. Uh, now, when I was a kid, Fowler was my hero, Robbie Fowler. Um, and then we used to talk about Fowler being a natural finisher. He just used to, he wouldn't be in a game and then he'd just score. And this lad, this Charlie, I don't do him disservice because he works damn hard at a game. But in terms of natural ability, it's just frightening. Um, he's on the cusp of first team appearances for Shrewsbury. And my guess is if he gets a bit of luck with injuries, gets a break, he'll, he'll play higher. Um, he's just got whatever, whatever it is, he's just got it. Great, that. Yeah. Brilliant. So I, I think we'll we'll bring yeah. it to an end there, guys. Thank you very much, mate. Really no, appreciate no you coming on. Pleasure. Thank you very much, mate. Thank that you. Was, that was brilliant. Well, that was Passing Groove. Many thanks to everyone who has listened. If you got this far. We'll be back weekly with more episodes. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links will be in the description. Feel free to message us with any feedback or comments. Again, many thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Cheers.